Today we're going to be looking at the miracle when Christ uh, heals the demoniac. If you remember the story, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, actually on the other side of this lake right here. And they encounter a man in the uh, Gadarenes. The man is full of demons. The Bible says so many demons that he tells Jesus the name of the demons is legion, meaning thousand. Uh, here's the truth. Jesus, when he encounters this man, has an incredible response. He casts the demons out. The man is so in love with who Christ is that he wants to spend the rest of his life with Jesus and ask, can I come with you? But Jesus said, no, you need to go back to your town. What's incredible is the next time we meet this man, it's when Jesus goes back to this town. In this encounter, he's cast out of town. The next encounter, the man brings the entire town out to meet Jesus. They're thrilled to find out who he is. This man has become the president of the Jesus fan club after that short time. Isn't it incredible? what Christ can do with a person when he has just a little bit of time. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in this series on Believe. Get ready, it's really good. Our campuses are tuning in right now, not just here at Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, and those that are live streaming. In just a moment, all you live stream people, I've got a favor I'm going to ask you to do and help me out. But I want to begin with this right here. Two weeks ago, stood up and talked about our Believe campaign that we are doing to renovate uh, this particular campus upstairs to do some construction downstairs, which will give us the ability to uh, increase our uh, our capacity to minister to our kids by 50%. And then over at our Highlands Ranch campus, it allows us to expand our sanctuary, expand our children nurseries, and to relocate all of our offices over there. A tremendous thing happened. God's just done a great thing. So we asked you, would you take this? Would you pray about it? Would you bring them back this weekend? And so what we've got, uh, again, are the cards on the chair. In case you forgot, you can fill it out. There is out at the, uh, at the exits, you'll find a box for these cards, or you could drop it in the offering box too. Either way is just fine, but we put a box for it specifically. That way it didn't fill up all the offering boxes with these cards right here. Uh, interestingly enough, it's a $1.2 million project. Before any of the cards are due this weekend, we've already had $60,000 given in one-time gifts. So that's 5% that came in before any of the cards were ever even due. So Chris asked me tonight before we came, she said, uh, did you remember to bring our card? So just so you know, we are filling out a card and we are turning in a card too because we don't believe it's fair for the pastors to ask the people to do something if they're not willing to do it. Sound, sound right? So we're, we're doing that um, and we will be turning ours in in the morning. So anybody that gets them tonight, if you don't see my name on it, I didn't lie while I was up here. We'll be doing it tomorrow. But um, bring it up to, to you tonight to, uh, to say this, that what we would like you to do, if you haven't heard about this before and you do consider Jubilee to be your home, this is not something for Lone Tree or something for Highlands Ranch. It is for Castle Rock and it is for Lakewood. And if you say, how are those things connected? Because it's all for one and one for all. This particular campus planted all the other campuses, and in order for it to continue doing so, it's necessary for us to make some adjustments. And being able to minister to our children is part of the vision and the key that God gave us in church. We don't think our answer to growth is to tell people we don't have room for you. 
Do you agree with that statement right there? If we believe that God has given it to us and that people are important to him, therefore they're important to us, then our response should always be, what can we do to minister to people? That's what makes this really important. So if you're prepared, we'd love for you to turn it in this weekend. I will let you know over the next couple of weekends what comes in. Chris asked me, what, what would surprise you? What do you think could happen? I said, we have folks in our church who I know are capable, if they wanted to, to do it all at once. But let's say, um, I would think that this can be done in a six-month time period without any trouble. This past week, we had our annual business meeting, and whether you're a visitor or a regular attender, let me make some information available to you at our Connect, Grow, Serve table in the foyer at all of our campuses. We've got uh, our end-of-the-year report, our annual report, and it has all the giving for all the campuses, all of our information's in there. If you're visiting tonight, want to know a little bit more about how we spend money, what happens with it, what do you do for missions, pick that up, and it would explain it. But let me just give you a quick scenario. We gave just, just a few thousand dollars below a million dollars for missions in 2012 of a budget of $5 million. So that means 20% of the budget went to outreach. That is cool, folks. I don't know if you realize what I'm saying to you. If a church hits 10%, they did really, really well. To give away 20% of your money is fantastic. It's possible because of your generosity. Thank you for letting us do that. The best part about my job is giving away your money. To be real honest with you, I really enjoy doing that. But I get a chance now to, um, to, to move on um, um, the future of our church and believe that that really is my job right now more than, than anything else. It's to make possible what God wants to do for the next five or ten years. So if you're ready, turn them in tonight. If you need to pray about it some more, certainly do that. If you don't hear anything from God, we don't expect you to do anything. That's the fair way that we do this right there. But if you did hear from God, do that thing. We sure would appreciate it, and it would be a blessing. And I'll let you know in the next couple of weekends what happened. Okay, back real quick before we jump into the message. I told our live stream people who are listening right now that I needed a favor from you. And here's what I need you to do. If you're live streaming right now, what I want you to do is minimize your screen and you will find a tab on there that says survey. And only the people that are live streaming are able to do this right now. So minimize your screen. Click on the survey tab. We've got three, three or four, three questions in a part A that we've got on there. I would like for you to fill that out for me. This is going to help me. What are you doing? We are trying to figure out exactly how large our online church is. The best that we can tell, we have about every week 350 people who use uh, the online ministry. But we're not sure what that represents as far as the total number. And we're trying to figure out our online campus may be the biggest campus that we have, believe it or not, outside of this one right here. So we're trying to figure that out. And if you would give us that information, it would help me be able to calculate a couple of things. One, it would help me to calculate actually how many people we're ministering to. But two, it would help me to know whether or not we need to do more to minister to our online campus beyond just providing video for you. So if you'd go there and you'd do that for me, I would sure appreciate it. It would be a great help. And uh, by the way, all of your information is kept confidential. Some of you may be watching because you want it confidential. I get that. All of your information will be confidential. We won't give any of it away. We won't contact you. Nothing like that will happen. But it will help me to know how many people we have 
who are tuning in on a weekly basis. So please take a moment, minimize the screen, click the survey tab. All right, it's called Believe. We're in the fourth week of it. Let me just say very quickly, last week, uh, Pastor DeMay stood up and taught for me. Chris and I um, visited a church. We had a break. We visited a church. I'll talk about that in a, more, a minute. But Dan did a fantastic job. There, Dan... Um, all of our guys, it, it, this is not just blowing smoke. All of our guys can teach, and we are blessed to have them. But without question, Dan is such, uh, he is a good teacher. I enjoy listening to all the different guys. But Dan ministers to me too. I've, I've listened to him teach now for, for about 15 years. That's, that's a long time to listen to anybody. And the truth of the matter is, if you can listen to somebody for that long, it's a good marriage. So there's, there's, the, there's the deal. So Dan, thank you so much for what you did last week. Great, great job. Uh, today, we're going to use Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. So we've got 20 scriptures here. Obviously, there's not room to put them in the notes. So what I did was put the reference. I'm going to read it, uh, break it up into chunks, and then come back and teach on it from there. But before we jump into that, um, go ahead. You can find it in your Bible if you want to, Mark chapter 5. Listen, even though we provide the scriptures for you, and it'll be up behind me here in just a few minutes, it's always a good idea to bring your Bible to church with you at any of our campuses, because you never know when I may have another um, scripture that I'm going to throw in there. Or you may never know, hey, did, did, did we do something that shouldn't be in there? It's always good, and it's always the right thing to have your Bible there to check. And if you've been praying like, you know, I really want to know, where's the right place to bring my Bible? How many would think church? <laughs> Some are like, I don't get that. You'll get it on the way home. It'll, it'll dawn on you. All right, so these, these are not in your notes. If you've got a pen, you can find Mark 5 in your Bible. If you've got a pen, you might want to write this down on your notes right there. Let me give you three things that encourage faith. They're not in your notes. They're just three things that I jotted down that I thought were important that I would just share with you before we launch into our message tonight. Three things that encourage faith. The first one is hope. Hope. And I wrote this down. It's impossible to have faith without hope. Do you agree with that statement? If you don't have, if you don't have hope, you're not going to graduate to faith. Here's what I think. I think that faith is hope that's been convinced about something. Now, let me give you the difference between the two. The Bible says that if there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church and they're to pray the prayer of? Okay, here's the difference between faith and hope. What if we took that scripture and we substituted the word hope? Listen to it. If there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray the prayer of hope. How many of you would not want that prayer prayed over you if you were sick? We're hoping for it. You would want faith where we believe it. All right, hope is necessary to move into faith, but you don't go automatically to faith. You've got to have a situation where there's hope. Hope may be the most powerful thing that there is in the world. Hope allows on both sides of the coin, listen to this. When people have hope, even in the wrong idea, they'll give all of their money, all of their effort, and all of their time to a cause, even if it's the wrong cause, if they have hope in it. That's how powerful hope is. Hope is one of those things, if you have any, you can't kill a person that has hope. But if you take away their hope, they're gone. That's true. So hope is necessary in order to graduate to faith because hope really is faith that has become fully convinced about something. The Bible says that, that, that faith is, is the essence of hope. It becomes the tangible proof that you had hope to begin with. Hebrews says that. So hope is the beginning of faith, and where you find hope, you will find faith eventually. How about this? Three things that encourage faith. The next one, hearing. The Bible says that faith comes by? Okay, now this is important. It's a present tense verb. To hear. 
Faith does not come from having heard something 20 years ago, which is where a lot of people end up living in their faith. Faith is not static. Jesus was amazed by people's little faith, and he was amazed by people's great faith. If you're going to amaze Jesus, let's err on the side of doing it big. Let's err on the side of it being big. Yes or no? If Christ can, it's never static. I think we tend to think of our faith as something that's just, it's there and it's just, you know, one foot, it's linear, it just goes like this. Faith is multidimensional. You can have an experience with God in a particular area and therefore you have great faith in that area. I'll give you a great one. God healed my back in December. This great thing happened for me. Right now, if you come up to me and your back hurts, I have great faith to pray for people with back issues right now. But if you come up and say, my toe is hurting, I'm going to send you to somebody else. It's not I'm joking there. But I'm, do you get what I'm saying? We can have an experience with God. Therefore, it produces great faith in an area. But in another area, if we haven't had that experience, if it's not present tense, then having heard a long time ago, while it may have produced faith back then, the problem with faith is that faith is not static. It doesn't just stay in one little location. Faith is supposed to grow, but the problem is faith can shrink. Paul the apostle clearly taught that a person's faith can become shipwrecked. So it is possible to have at some point in your life a great level of faith, but if you don't keep that active present tense, then it is possible for faith to diminish in your life. And again, Christ was amazed by two things clearly in the scripture. The Bible says he was amazed at their lack of faith. And then the woman who came to him, who asked for him to heal her daughter. Jesus made that, remember that, that statement is sort of that, that uh, healing is the children's bread. And she goes, well, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the table. And then the Bible says, Jesus was amazed at her great faith. It is an issue that is not static, and therefore, we need to be active in hearing. What would I really say about that? Here's, here's, you need to be hearing from God on an ongoing basis. You should be hearing from Him daily. Dan, my friend, God is speaking to us all the time. Do you believe that? And the problem is, people go, I can't hear His voice. Here's what Jesus said. My sheep know my voice. Folks, we can learn to hear the voice of God. We have to train ourselves. We have to distinguish the voice. But I'm going to tell you right now, quit agreeing with the devil that you can't hear the voice of God. Begin to agree with what Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So you can hear his voice. How about this? Last but not least, three things that encourage faith would just simply be this one right here. A soft heart. A hard heart keeps people from hearing and having faith. Jesus on the boat with his disciples in a storm. The Bible says Jesus begins to teach them, and he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees, and he tells them to be careful. And then the Bible says that the disciples begin to argue amongst themselves because they didn't bring bread. And Jesus thinks, why are you talking about bread? And the disciples go, because you're talking about bread. And Jesus goes, did your hearts get hard since we left the shore? Why is it you don't understand? A hard heart keeps a person from hearing. You cannot hear or you cannot have faith without hearing. So three things that bolster faith. Folks, it's just easy. Hope, hearing, and a soft heart. 
All right, let's move into the scripture real quick. Mark chapter 5. Um, let me, I'll pick it up, read it, and then um, comment on it. So we'll start in uh, Mark 5. We'll look at verse 1. I'm going to read from the NIV, okay? So if you don't have that one, you can just fake like you do right now. Okay, 5 verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, your Bible may have that word as Gadarenes. Same place, does not matter. It's an interpretation issue, but it doesn't change where it's at. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. He tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Let me just stop and ask the question, how many of you would not be excited if this is the first thing that greets you when you get off the boat? This is probably not the most exciting event that Jesus was like, hey, this is, wow. The Bible, in some of the translations, it says immediately the man ran to him. So imagine Christ pulls up. Now, look, he's God. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He's God, but he's also all man. He's all God. He's all man. And while Jesus only did what he saw his father do, he had to have been in a place where things would come about and he would have to look at it and go, okay, this is what we're doing now. Okay, I'll handle it. It had to be one of those situations. And here the boat pulls up, Jesus gets out, and this guy who is, he's not just possessed, he's possessed with a capital P exclamation point at the end. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, this, this guy runs up to him, and, it's, and then it gives his story. He's a guy that lives amongst the tombs. Yes or no, that makes him weird off the bat. <laughs> right off the bat, this is not... This is not your normal story. Anytime the Bible takes the effort to give us details, pay attention to the details. It's beginning to show us ideas and thoughts and signals about this guy. So he lives amongst the dead. The Bible says that he cuts himself, that he cries out, that he screams, and that he can't be controlled. There was a time where he could be controlled, but now he's grown to the point where supernaturally, apparently, he's able to break these chains. He's able to crush these fetters off of him. I wrote in my notes some thoughts about it. Look where this guy lives. He is living amongst the dead and not amongst the living. And I would throw out to you the comment that we would look at this guy and judge him as being maybe crazy. Maybe we would say, hey, that is possessed. The bottom line, let me give you an analogy. How many of us live amongst dead things rather than amongst live things? We're looking in the wrong place for the things that bring life to us. Don't you think about it for a minute. When, when, when the women went to Jesus' tomb on the morning of the resurrection, one of the gospel accounts says that they were met by angels. And this is what the angel said to him. I put the reference in your notes if you want to uh, see it right here. It's Luke 24, the second part of verse 5. The angels told the women, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? How many times do we have people that we know who love God, but they get mixed up in their lives and they end up pursuing dead things, trying to get life inside of themselves? Yes or no? Believers can end up in bad places in life too. The passport can be stamped heaven, but the life here and now certainly can look like hell. And you don't believe that's true? Pastor with me for a little while. Listen to the conversations that I end up in. Here's the power of the gospel. It doesn't change your past. It changes you. 
But unless you are active in moving towards what God has for you, you also have an enemy who is out to attack you. And it's why believers who just take a laissez-faire attitude towards life can end up in some difficult places. Believers can become addicted. Believers can become bitter. Possible. Believers can end up in all sorts of places in life. And many times when that happens, recently I taught a a series where we talked about pits. And I mentioned that in the book of Proverbs, the Bible tells us a number of ways that a person can fall into a pit. They can be pushed into a pit. They can trip accidentally into a pit. But some people jump into a pit. And so it is possible that we can love God but make mistakes in our lives and that we're looking for life amongst dead things and it can bite us and hold on to us when it happens. Do you agree with that statement? It's easy to judge other people. It's a little harder when it begins to come home to ourselves. Matthew 24, 28. It's not in your notes. I wrote it in my notes. Jesus For those who are familiar with the scripture, Jesus gives a discourse in Matthew 24 about the end times. In fact, it's the most clear teaching that we have from Christ over what the earth will look like before his return. Matthew 24, almost the entire chapter, is it begins with the disciples and Jesus at the temple. They walk out of the temple. Jesus mentions to them, Uh, What do they think about the temple? They tell him it's beautiful. He says, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on top of another before I return. And then I'll rebuild it in three days. Of course, he's talking completely about himself. And he gives an analogy and he begins to launch into a discourse about the end times. And then towards the end of the discourse, we have this little gem. And this this is a Jesus, I don't know how, this is a Jesus trait where he's teaching about one thing, and then suddenly he zooms off someplace else, he teaches, and then he comes back over here. You ever read that? You're looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking. You ever read your Bible? (laughs) Matthew? Thank you for any... The poor pastor will take anything right now. Help me out here. You ever read it, and he's talking, and then all of a sudden, it's like a prophetic word comes out of his mouth, and then he goes back to what he's teaching. Okay, we have that. Eric, here's... We have that right here, Matt. He's teaching about the end days and the end times, and what the earth is going to look like before it returns. And then suddenly we have this little gem. Where the corpse is, there the vultures gather. (laughs) What's that? How do we go from the temple to where the corpse is, the vulture gather? Very quickly, a couple of years ago, that, that scripture... I had studied on it one time. It's very interesting. Um, The vultures represent demonic principalities. Here's what Jesus is teaching. I'll just give give it to you very very quickly, and then I'll I'll come back to it. He's just teaching um, where you find dead things, lifeless things, you'll find the enemy close to hand. Vultures love to pick on the weak, the lame, the dead, Yes or no? They they love that. The Bible says one of the names of the enemy is the Lord of the flies. What is it talking about there? Flies, you ever seen a dead body? Flies gravitate towards death, don't they? And they multiply. 
Here's what Jesus is teaching. Where you find dead things, the enemy is close at hand. Here's what Christ is teaching in the end times. Don't end up with dead things in your life because when you have dead things in your life, the enemy will concentrate his effort on the things in your life that are dead. So I had a woman a few years ago who came to me with a word. And that was the word. She goes, Pastor, I got a word for you. What is it? She goes, where you find the corpse, the vultures gather. I'm like, that's not the word I wanted. <laughs> what about the one where give and it shall come back to you? Good measure, press down, shake it together. How about that one? How come I never get that one? She said, well, let me explain it to you. She said, I just felt like the Lord would say to me to tell you that if there's anything in your life, pastor, anything whatsoever that you're serving that's not of God, there's anything at all that's death. She said, get rid of it so the enemy has no access because, Pastor, if you're not in that place, how can we be in that place? It's a strong word. So I went home and I prayed about that. You know what? I felt like she was right. I felt like there was some stuff there that she was telling the truth about. And this is what she said. She said, I had a dream. She said, in the dream you were teaching and the phone rang, someone had died And they asked you in the middle of teaching if you could go and do the funeral. And you left what you were doing to go do the funeral. We were all just sitting there. She felt like this is what the Lord said to her, that John is not to go and serve dead things. He's to serve living things. So she said, Pastor, I got this. It's a tough word. I know it. But I said, your job is just to back the truck up, dump the rocks. Don't tell me what to do with it now. Don't point out anything you think is dead in my life. Because it could be you if you do that. Here's what. I'm kidding. It's a joke. I thought that was good. See, these are the things that come up on the spot that don't happen in other places. Okay, here's, here's the thought. While I'm teaching on this, let me ask you the question. If life is always the obvious choice, let me point something out to you. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 God speaks to Joshua, and this is what he says to him. Today, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And if it ended with a period right there, it makes complete sense. But it ends with a comma, and then it says this. Therefore, choose life. Okay, look at me. If life is so obvious, why the admonition to choose it? How about this? The enemy has become very skillful at disguising death to look like life. How about this? God hides life in things that we don't always think will bring us life. Like, the Bible says, he who would be first would be... Did you just... God hides life in things that we don't think will bring us life. Like when we serve someone else, we get honor. Do you follow me? Back to the garden. Adam and Eve. God puts them in the perfect environment, in the perfect place, and gives them one don't. The Bible says that the garden was full of many trees, but in the middle of the garden, he planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he told the man and the woman, I'm putting you here to take care of this garden, and here's the only don't. Don't eat from the knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat of it, you shall surely Yes? That's what it said. Okay, they went right out, ate of it. Did they die physically? 
They died spiritually. Okay, how did the devil trick them? The Bible says when they looked at the fruit, it looked good to eat. It looked like it would satisfy them. And here's the original lie. You can do things just like God does it and be just. The original lie is you can be like God. And you cannot because you are not. Therefore, you're not able to handle certain things. Anybody follow me? So, what are those things? Well, the Bible tells us one of them is judgment. We get into places of judgment, it can turn into bitterness. Here's the thing about bitterness. You eat of the fruit and it doesn't kill you on the spot, does it? It takes a while. But it does result in spiritual death. And sometimes the only way out of the death is to let go. God hides life in things that we don't always think will bring us life, like forgiveness. We look at forgiveness and we think to ourselves, I don't want to forgive. It feels good to hate. I'm the only one in the whole room. (laughs) Stupid pastor, John. So immature. Let me try one more time. It feels good to hate sometimes, yes or no? Somebody does us wrong and it feels good. In fact, here's what we like to do. We like to tell other people about what happened so that we can have a hate club against the hate club for men. That's just, just came to me. Yeah. Sorry. I ruin good teaching with my sense of humor, don't I? Here's what Jesus said. God is the God of the living. It's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Our lives should be full of the life of God. Our prayer downstairs before we ever walk up to do any service in any campus, here's our prayer. God, visit us with your life tonight. Visit us with your life this morning. Visit us with your life this afternoon. If we don't get the life of God in a service, what's the difference between this and a Kiwanis club? Seriously. Both people get excited. Both are into what they're teaching. What's the difference? The life of God. The life of God that sets you free. The life of God that produces life inside of you. This message should not just be words, ink and paper. It should not be cheerless. It should be the life of God inside of you. If the Holy Spirit's really moving right now, He should be telling you, that's death, get away from it. That's life, get to it. If you can sit there and amen me and it doesn't do anything to you, be afraid. Be very afraid. Because it should speak to you, should draw you, should captivate you. Let me move to the second one. Read verses 7 through 13 here. We move a little further in the story. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us amongst the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out, went into the pigs. Then the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. How many of you think that was a story that was happening right there? He pulls up, this guy comes out screaming and yelling. Jesus begins to take control of the situation, telling the demons, out you go. They're talking back to him. Don't torture us, Jesus, son of the most high God. Permit us, don't send us out of the air. Permit us to go into the pigs. Do you think Jesus knew what was going to happen next? Okay, go ahead and go. How would you do it if you're up here teaching? How would you demonstrate the pig going off the cliff? Okay. Hey, I'm 49. It's all good. <laughs> Here's what I wrote in my notes. I wrote down the idea, it's okay to not be okay, but God doesn't want to leave you that way. Look, let me tell you, safest place in Highlands Ranch, in Lone Tree, in South Denver, in Lakewood, in Castle Rock, in our area, safest place should be this place right here should be the safest place anybody can walk into. We should be able to tell people it's okay to not be okay, but then to give them hope. But God's not going to leave you that way. Now, let me just throw this out to you. End of the year, we had a great speaker. Bob Sorge was here. Anybody catch him? So Bob, Bob is teaching a message. Just, I, I don't have a lot of time. I've got to be real careful here. But um, Bob was a pastor uh, for a number of years, injured his vocal cords. He was a worship leader slash pastor, injured his vocal cords. You recognize the necessity for a pastor to have his vocal cords. A worship leader to have his vocal cords? It's like up there on the chart of stuff you need. This guy gets an injury to his vocal cords. He loses his voice, and the way that he has to preach right now is he puts a microphone right up neck, and he whispers. His voice box has been damaged, the nerves in it damaged, so he whispers. They have to turn it up as loud as they can for you to hear the message. Here's what's amazing about Bob Sorge, that in the last 20 years of his struggle, he's never lost the hope that God's going to heal him. He's never given... Look, it's one thing for me to stand up here and talk about God healing someone's voice. But it's another when the guy who's damaged and has had to hold on to his faith for 20 years talks about God is going to do what he's going to do. And God will give me vindication over my enemies. Remember the message? Powerful message. Then he goes like this. He goes, why is it that it seems that it takes God forever to answer our prayers? Theologically speaking, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, God doesn't operate on our time schedule. It's the truth of the matter. He dwells in eternity where there's no clocks. So it's not that God is not aware of our plight or that he's unsympathetic. He just simply sees, listen, you and I see our lives at the particular blip we are in space and time. God sees it from the beginning all the way to the end. He holds it all in his hand and he knows how it's going to turn out and he knows when he's going to show up and he knows how he'll give us vindication and it's all good. So what are we supposed to do? Trust that it's all good. Listen to me. It becomes really important. So I'm listening to Bob teach this, and I'm asking God, how does a person really do that? What does that look like? And God, how do we hold on? The Lord reminds me of the idea of how suddenly 
works. I, I want, if, you're a, if you're a studier of the word, go home and look up the word suddenly in the Bible and look at how many times the word suddenly appears in the Bible. It's amazing because when God shows up, many times it'll say suddenly. But the truth of the matter is, God does nothing suddenly. It just appears to us that it's suddenly. Let me give you a great, great demonstration of this. Um, there was a tsunami in Asia six years ago, five, right after Christmas Day. Was it 2005? When was that tsunami? I don't remember. 2004? It's what they taught, that underneath the ocean, there was a tremendous earthquake that happened that jostled the water that set off the tsunami. You remember the story? There's even a movie coming out about it right now called Impossible or something like that. Here's, though, what they taught. When an earthquake happens, it appears to be suddenly because we see the results suddenly. But in reality, the tectonic plates have been pushing against each other, in some cases, for eons. So this pressure is building, building. You're praying. You're standing in faith. You're believing. The pressure builds. The pressure builds. It seems like nothing is happening because it's two colossal events that are crashing into each other. God will be God, and you're praying. Be God now. Be God today. God is saying, I am God, and I do hear you. Wait for me. And it builds, and it builds. Here's the point. When it finally, it's an earthquake, isn't it? God wants you to have the joy of answered prayer, not just the discipline of learning how to pray. His intention is that you get the joy from answered prayer, not just learning how to pray. God is going to answer your prayers. God is faithful. God has not forgotten you. It seems like it's building. It seems like all oh, he only shows up. So, no, it's building. Trust him. Do you trust him? You believe he holds everything in his hand? He does. Bob, when it goes, it goes. And it'll happen. And here's the thing. Nothing will stand in the way of when God moves. Nothing. In fact, everything will get out of the way. The suddenlies of God, they're incredible. I went to a church last weekend. God, God, um, man, how much time do I have? God, God did something really cool for me last weekend. Um, can, can I just? Okay, all right. So I, when I can, Chris and I, yeah, this, this, is, this is how boring your pastor is. Here's a good getaway trip for me. I pick a church, someplace that I respect or that I've seen about. And we travel to that city so we can attend that church. <laughs> and there's a church that we've been hearing about. And we, we just, we got away overnight to go see this church. We flew to go see it. It's a great church, but it's in a, very, it's in a city that deals with a lot of broken people. The church, though, has identified who they're ministering to so that when you walk in the door, here's their slogan, it's okay to not be okay. And part of their, their service order is that they have someone in their church come up and give a testimony right after worship. And every week, it's a person who's been delivered from something. They deal with a very broken, addicted population. Several thousand people. So the main story that they teach is recovery. The recovery of the promises of God. And I heard this testimony where this guy stands up and he just talks about what God did for him. Here's the power of the gospel. It doesn't change your past. It changes you. It alters your future, doesn't it? 
This guy's family's put back. All of his children are standing up. His wife is crying. Look what God did for us. It was great. The speakers at the church that weekend were the guys from, you ever watched the show Gold Rush on Friday nights? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? They're believers, and they were the speakers at the church last weekend. It's my favorite television show. So not only do I show up at this church, but the guys from Gold Rush are teaching. It was, it was amazing. I texted Marcus. I'm like, you're never going to believe who's here. It was great. They had a powerful testimony, man. Powerful testimony. They come from very broken backgrounds, and they talked about what God can do, and their message was the same message. It's okay to not be okay, but God's not going to leave you that way right there. It's good for us to tell people, it's, you're safe here, but the message can't just be you're safe here. It needs to be you're safe here, and God knows where you are. He's going to rescue you. He's going to come to your aid. He will deliver you. He will fulfill his promises. I'll give you the third one. I just titled it, What's Different About You? It's verse 14 through 16, it reads this way. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. What did they report? What just happened, what Jesus just did, and what the pigs did. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. They found something completely different. Hey, a few moments ago, this guy was naked, cutting himself, howling, living in a cemetery. Now they come out, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. Yes or no, when God gets a hold of you, everything changes. Do you agree with that statement? Let me throw something out to you here that I think is really, really interesting. At our business meeting this last week, I just asked the question. Jonathan Murley walked up to me. He's our missions pastor, by the way. If you don't know who he is, you'll meet him at some point. You'll see him. Um, maybe you may, you, you may have already come in contact with him. Jonathan, right before the start of the business meeting, walked up to me and he just said, hi. And I looked at him. I said, what's different about you? I said, did you lose weight? What's different about you? What did you do? He goes, John, something's different. What is it? He goes, oh, I shaved before I came to the meeting. I'm like, I guess that's it right there. Let me just ask you a question. You ever ask that question? You just look at somebody and you're like, something's different about it. You can't quite pick it out. Do you think in this case they couldn't quite pick out what was different about this guy? Or do you think it was really obvious? <laughs> Again, I'm going to make the statement one more time because it's mine. I didn't steal it from anybody. God gave it to me. The power of the gospel is not that it God's not ashamed of your past, but he does alter your future, doesn't he? The power of the gospel, man, it doesn't change that, but it does change you. It changes where you're going. It changes your destiny. It changes your destination. It changes your life. Yeah, praise God, man. Praise God. I just throw down this idea right here. That when we see that something's different, it's fun to ask the question. But when Jesus gets a hold of a person, how different? Look at me. If you've walked with God for any length of time in your life, how different are you right now than the day Jesus found you? Are you different you know, if you can't say you're different, I got a question for you. Did you really meet Jesus? Did you hear me? 
How you like me now? So I'll tell you the truth. If you don't know any difference, did you really meet Jesus? Because the Jesus that I know, when he meets somebody, everything's different. How about Zacchaeus? Short guy up a tree. They go back to his house for dinner. He happens to be a tax collector. What does he do? The Bible says he meets Jesus and he stands up in front of everybody. I've been stealing for years. I'm going to give back four times as much as I ever stole. Yes or no, that's different. That's the kind of thing that Jesus, one minute you're just sitting there normal. The next minute you're like, it changes everything, doesn't it? Changes everything. You know what? Let me say this to you. I think one of the most important things you can do as a believer is never to forget where you were when God found you so that you can recognize what he's done in your life since then. You should praise him for what he's done in your life. And then I would ask the question, if you can't do that, what's going on in you? Where are you? What's the devil doing to you? Because it needs to stop tonight. It needs to stop now. It's not God's will. It's not God's purpose. And it's not how God wants to leave you. Let me finish our message and get us out of here. The last one I just talked about, the president of the Jesus fan club, verse 17 through 20, and the particular passage we're reading just ends this way. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Let me just ask the question real quick. This powerful miracle has just taken place. Wouldn't you think the reaction of the people would be to cheer Jesus? Now, just talk to me for a minute. Wouldn't you think, we read it right here. How many of you would love to see it in action? I would just, just to be a fly on the wall or a pig on the hill. Wouldn't you just love to see it happen? Just like, I guess you wouldn't want to be a pig on the hill. You'd be dead. (laughs) Be bad. (laughs) What's a pig doing in Israel anyway? Anyway, it's another, another message. Do you want to know the answer for that? This wasn't a Jewish city. It was a pagan city. So they had Catholics. (laughs) Is that what you said? What did you say? (laughs) Oh, yes, the Decapolis. I thought you said the Catholics. Like, what? (laughs) We reverse that statement right now. As a former Catholic, we recognize you're not a pig on a hill. So please, it's not what we're saying. He said the Decapolis, which is what I will teach here in just a second. Forgive me. My ears are 49. I can't quite hear like I used to hear. (laughs) Bob, don't interrupt me anymore. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the, what's the word there? Is it not behind? No, it's not behind me. In the Decapolis. Bob just said that, in the Decapolis. The Decapolis was 10 regional cities. So here's what Jesus said to him. You can't go with me, go back into your city. But the guy didn't just go into his city. He went into the regional area all the way around. The 10 cities were all the way around the Sea of Galilee. They completely surrounded the Sea of Galilee. So the guy, it went all the way into several of the other countries. Jordan is where some of these cities were. So this guy, he gets born again. 
He gets radically saved. His life is instantly, it's turned upside down. What does he want to do? What anybody who's meant Jesus wants to do, I just want to be with you. Let me just, I don't, let, I don't want to do anything else. I just want to know, can you remember those days? It still should be like that. You still should love him that much where I just want to be with you. So this guy's like, let me come with you. And Jesus said, no, you're better used to me if you go back and tell everybody. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell everybody you know what God has done. He's been merciful to you. Go tell everybody. So the guy goes back, but he doesn't just go to his city. He goes to the entire region. Now, here's my question to you. Two, two things. Number one, look at the difference between what Jesus did with a new convert and what we tend to do with a new convert. Jesus takes him and puts him in ministry after 15 minutes. How, I wonder how many pastors would tell Jesus, you, you can't do it that way. See, that, that's going to mess you up big time. There are novices. They don't know what they're doing. They're going to go tell people all sorts of crazy things. You're going to be in trouble, Jesus. This will get back to your father. I'm telling you right now, you're going to be in trouble. So... <laughs> So, but he, what do we do? Somebody gets born again, we, you've got at least two years of classes. In fact, here's what we really, don't tell anybody anything because you're going to mess it up. Wait till we teach you how to do it. Does it sound halfway familiar? Now, now here's, here's what I really want you to, to, to think with me. Let's look at the results. So the way we think versus the way Jesus thought, what were the results? Okay, so now to have a little biblical knowledge is important. The Decapolis, he didn't just go back to his city, he went to the Decapolis. The Decapolis, go, look at a biblical map, the Decapolis surrounded the entire region around the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so the next time we pick up the story of what happened, I got it in your notes, it's Mark chapter 6. And it's, it's at the very end of the chapter, what is it right there, 53. Okay, so some stuff has gone on since Jesus told him to go back to a city. The guy goes to the whole Decapolis, the 10 city region, the region all the way around the Sea of Galilee. The next time Jesus goes back into the Decapolis area, we pick up the story right here. When they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret and anchored the boat there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region, carried the sick on mats wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. How good a job did this guy do? The next time Jesus showed up, everyone knew who it was, and they followed him around bringing all the sick why? Because this guy told them what Jesus did for him, and now everybody believed Jesus would do it for me too. That's success. Yes or no? I, hey, how about this? If you're hearing this message, you're a pastor going, man, if I tried something like that, what would happen? I'm afraid of the wildfire. Some fire is better than no fire. Would you agree with it? I'd rather have to slow somebody down then constantly try to light a fire under them. I'd rather have to tell them, hey, let us teach you something here while you're trying it, rather than constantly say, why aren't you telling somebody about what God did for you? Maybe because they don't have a testimony. If you do, tell everybody. Tell 
everybody what Jesus did for you? Have we become too sophisticated to forget the very basics of the scripture, which is, if God has been merciful to you, tell everybody about it. Tell your wife, tell your children, tell your parents, tell your coworkers, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell everybody what Jesus has done for you. And if that doesn't appeal to you, there's not a plan B gospel. I'm sorry. This is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. If Jesus has done something for you, tell everybody. Tell everybody. It's, you know, can I just, it's what, preaching is really easy for me. I'm telling everyone all the time what Jesus has done for me. I'm still excited about it, man. I'm still excited about it. guess I'd end up, I got one minute. Let me just say this about this guy. All learning, and I mean all learning, including Bible college, a university, or a seminary. All learning without actually experiencing Jesus is for nothing. Did you hear me? Here's what made this guy different. Here's why this guy Here's why Jesus told him to go tell. He had a real experience that no degree of teaching could give him. He touched the living Savior. You can become super smart. You can learn all you want. May the things I teach you about the Bible inspire you to want to know more and learn more. But now when we close this service and we go, before we go home, to engage God Here's the most important thing of everything we've done. You've got to touch Jesus right now. Because yeah. if you don't, then everything we did was just church. And that's not why Jesus came. He came so that you experience him, you touch him, you get his love. Does that make any sense? I beg you. I plead with you. I'd do anything I could to tell you right now. We close this message. Worship pastors at all of our campuses. Come on, get ready. Close it with any music that you want to close it with. All of our campus pastors, you're free. As soon as I get done praying, go in any direction you want to go with your campus to close it. But let me do this. Let me encourage all of our campuses right now. Everyone listening to me, look at me. Pay attention. Touch Jesus right now. I don't know what to do. Open your heart. Tell him right now, touch me. Ask him to fill you. It's his delight to do it. It's his delight to minister to you. It's not a Lone Tree thing. It's a Lakewood thing. It's a Highlands Ranch. It's, it's a Jesus thing. It's a Jesus thing. He wants to touch you. He wants to engage with you right now. He wants to bring you life. And I would just tell you right now, we go to worship you get a chance to stand to your feet before you go to the parking lot, before you go pick up your children, before you go to communion even. Let's experience him right now. Let's open your mind, open your heart. Tell him, God, I want to know you. I want to engage you. I want your life. Allow the Holy Spirit inside. Allow God the opportunity to touch you right there. So, Father, for everyone who hears me, for those, God, who maybe they hear this for the very first time and they don't even know what it means, God, you're able to bring everyone together at one time, one place to do one thing. That's to experience you.
God, would you help us right now? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our heart? God, would you fill us right now with your grace, your mercy, your truth, your love, your power, your life? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet if you will. Let's just worship the Lord for a few minutes.